You're listening to Our Evolution with Linda Damita. Unscripted conversations from the heart with everyday thought leaders and great minds of our time that assist the global community on its healing journey towards conscious living and positive change. Because our evolution is a revolution, a revolution of love. I have been sitting on this interview, which took place in mid-October 2022 during the Path Forward Conference in Sedona, Arizona. And today, while I record this intro and publish this episode, it is March 11th, 2023. Five months have passed where I've struggled to fit other interviews into my busy schedule and build a series of worthy material, you know, editing it, learning the podcast platforms, etc., to create something that's meaningful. You know, and I'm doing all this while I have a regular job, you know, just to keep the lights on and food on the table. But I've, I've held this interview so close to me, wanting to protect it. And the time that I shared with this man, because being in his presence affected me so deeply and profoundly that a big part of me didn't want to share it with the world other than my partner, Nathan, because he was there for this conversation. Dr. Peter McCullough was pulled on from every direction during the conference, and I was terrified to approach him and ask for an interview, but he was so open and willing. I didn't feel worthy, I guess. You know, here I am in Sedona starting a podcast with only a vision, a purpose, a calling to be part of helping others to expand and grow and learn and transform and heal during this difficult chapter in history, you know, especially during this pandemic. And meeting Dr. McCullough was one of the most valuable experiences of my entire life because the passion, authenticity, and factuality was all of it was just so powerfully tangible and real and the information shared was not arguable because it was fact nor was it in any way theory and most certainly it was not conspiracy in any way shape or form and this was my personal direct experience so many of us believe that independent fact checkers are real and telling us the truth. We trust news sources because we believe they're truthful. And what I've learned is that when you follow the money of who financially supports these agencies of information and the agencies we've been conditioned to trust, including the ones who control the medical industrial complex, one cannot help but question their authenticity. We all want to believe that our government is protecting us too, don't we? So let's look for a moment at these definitions. Misinformation refers to false information, regardless of whether or not it's intended to mislead or deceive people. Whereas disinformation, in contrast, refers to false information that spread with the specific intent of misleading or deceiving people. So misinformation, let's re review, 
Misinformation is false, basically rumors. You may not intend to hurt anybody with it. Disinformation is lies with the intent of misleading and deceiving people. So if someone has evidence to back up what they're claiming, that is the furthest thing from disinformation. It's not false. They have fact. They're sharing facts that need to be disproved, basically, wouldn't you say? So who would they be harming by telling the truth? Now, with social media and the news, there are plenty of us who spread misinformation, believing that what we've heard is the truth, when in actuality, we haven't done any of the research to support what we claim. We're just repeating what we've heard. We may not intend to hurt others, but we're basically spreading rumors. So who are we harming when we do this? It may be unintentional, but think about that for a moment. Doctors and scientists and virologists who are experts in their fields, honored with awards and acknowledged for their accomplishments, are speaking up all over the world. They're providing the research, meta-analysis, the papers, the studies, the journals, the peer-reviewed evidence that support their claims. Now you have to question, how is that disinformation? They're willing to risk their licenses, their careers, their reputations, facing legal battles, smear campaigns where they're accused of domestic terrorism and even dealing with death threats in order to prove that they're telling the truth. And what do they have to gain by misleading people? What do the powers that control what we see and think have to gain by misleading the people. Now, if only all those who claim to know the facts would actually have an open conversation and be willing to review and study what these experts do, our collective experience during this pandemic would be very different. We are faced with the reality that we have been lied to. The facts are becoming clear and people like Dr. Peter McCullough are the superheroes of our time, whether you believe that or not. And they're fighting the most important battle of our generation on behalf of all of humanity, even those who wish them harm. This is not something to dismiss or ignore. Dr. McCullough is one of the most powerful, confident, knowledgeable, passionate, emotionally intelligent, genuinely kind and caring humans I have ever had the privilege of meeting. He made the time for us in his schedule, insisting that we get this interview. And his wife was incredibly gracious and patient to allow us to steal him away for an hour. And I want to thank Maha and Peter for their generosity. They're very special people. And I want to share with you that when Nathan and I wrapped up after this interview and got our gear in the car, We literally both broke down in tears once we had a moment to reflect. I felt that I was in the presence of greatness, and Nathan felt it too. Now, you can read about Dr. McCullough in the show notes, and if you, you know, if you don't already know who he is, but I'm here to tell you that there's so much more to this man than his credentials. 
And I hope you will take the time to listen with an open heart and mind, no matter what opinion you have about all that encompasses this pandemic. It is time for us to come together and listen to one another and have a courageous discourse heart to heart. It is necessary for our collective evolution. It's necessary for our survival. It's time for a revolution of love. Here is my very intimate and emotional conversation with the Dr. Peter McCullough. So first of all, I have to say that I'm a little bit emotionally overwhelmed after this weekend that I was able to spend in the presence of Dr. Peter McCullough, amongst many others, um, for the Path Forward Conference. Thank you so, so much from the bottom of my heart and deepest part of my soul for being willing to speak with us and our little podcast here out of Sedona. It's been a true honor to be with you, to see you in person after following you and watching you the last two years. And I remember seeing you on the steps of the Capitol and being overwhelmed with tears, thinking this is what's going to change our world. And you are at the forefront of that. So thank you for being here. And what is this like for you? I mean, you had so many people pulling on you and so many things going on today, and you still made time out of your schedule to come and, and, and spend a few minutes with us. How do you make all that happen? Well, thank you so much for having me on the program. It's a deep honor. And I agree, uh, this weekend was so authentic. It was so genuine and warm. And the Pathways Forward Conference was a, a tremendous convocation of, of spirit and of, of compassion and of clarity all surrounding the crisis. You know, we're three years into the crisis, and you mentioned on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial, and I'll never forget, uh, uh, I was rushed by um, security agents. I was picked up at the airport and right to the Lincoln Memorial, and I was up the steps. It was a freezing cold day. Um, I, I didn't have any comments prepared. It just there was a whole sequence of events that fell into place. People were reaching out. They wanted to touch me and, 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 and wanted some recognition uh, that they were there and what was going on. Uh, and you're right, it, it's what's going on right now in the nation, uh, in the world, three years into a crisis, is a crisis of compassion. People want to reach out, and they want to know that someone else is out there thinking the same things, having the same feelings, having the same insecurities, and wanting to understand what's the path forward. And indeed, it felt like this weekend there was progress in the community of caregiver, medical people, caregivers that were there, um, in the, the mutual understanding that it's, it's, it's the path forward includes how we're educating our healers, our, our medicine people of tomorrow. And and the fact that there was conversation amongst the doctors and naturopaths and how there's a sharing of understanding now that there's not just one way to deal with health um, or with sickness, that there's many paths and that they can actually work together. 
I know that Sedona is a very special place. I mean, I've been here a long time. Um, I feel like you got to experience part of that in, in this visit because there were so many people where it's a gentle society here. It's a gentle community. And you are a very gentle man, but yet you have this spirit of a warrior. And it is that that is inspiring so many people. And I think it's also the part that intimidates them because not everyone's capable of that. It's really easy to turn a blind eye. It's really easy to form judgment. It's a whole nother thing to actually step up and speak the truth. I mean, not literally, but figuratively, you're being crucified for being a messenger. In our book, Courage to Face COVID-19, Preventing Hospitalizations and Deaths While Battling the Biopharmaceutical Complex, which has now been in print for about four months, there's a chapter. Uh, and the lead author is John Leake, best-selling author, uh, who came back from Vienna to, to Dallas to work with me for a year on this. And the title of the chapter is The Stripping. And you're right, I'm in no physical pain. Uh, there aren't any bullets or lashes flying. But in fact, there is a stripping going on, a stripping. My uh, career is being uh, dismantled piece by piece. Uh, there is intent to do harm. Uh, harm is all around me. As I bring forward the truth, and the world knows it, my adversaries know it, patients know it, and people have asked me, is it worth it? Is it worth all of this? Do you take a career and do you take it decade after decade after decade and actually bring it into a halt, a crashing, dismantling halt? And I say, yes, because if I've helped one person, one person, it's worth it. You're helping more than one. And you're helping them beyond the actual truth because we are in... We are in an Armageddon. We are in an apocalyptic time. If you look up the definition of those words, they're very similar. And it's the final battle between good and evil, um, between dark and light forces. It's a reckoning. And I feel like it's not something happening outside of us. It's happening within. You mentioned how, you know, some of the places that you go where you have your colleagues, how they don't even look at you in the eye because they know. They know that they're buying into something or a part of something that's doing harm. That's again, that's not your words, but you said that they, they don't have the courage to look you in the eye. And I feel like that's because the truth is very hard for people to see within themselves. And you reflect that. And that's something that people are, are very, it's very hard for them to do is take a personal inventory, how they're really conducting their lives, how they're really living, what they're really believing and taking ownership of that and being willing to step up and out of something that they know intrinsically is wrong. That's the battle. That's the Armageddon. That's the apocalypse that I'm seeing. And the ultimate judge, yes, is going to be the divine, but how people can function. I mean, have, has anyone come to you and admitted or said, I now realize the truth? You're right. The, the divisive issue right now is COVID-19 vaccination. 
And the important observation is no one is neutral on it. See, if we were talking about an abstract problem, let's talk about a medical problem that you and I don't have. We never will have. We never will take the treatment. We could engage in a dispassionate conversation about that medical problem. That can't be done with respect to the vaccines. Either people took them or they didn't. And among doctors, they're no different. They either took them or they didn't. And I think the most difficult thing for the doctors who are in the narrative that took the vaccine, and we estimate actually 98, 96% of doctors took the vaccines, roughly 90% now still support the vaccines, 10% don't. But of the doctors who took the vaccines and who support them right now, the reason why they can't come to terms to even have a conversation about it is because it's in their bodies. And we now know it doesn't leave their bodies. They made a permanent decision. And every piece of information that comes out that's negative on the vaccines, that re reveals some new wrinkle, some new problem. And boy, there's a lot of them. Every new medical problem, that doctor can't help but think about themselves. And they can't help but think about their family members and their children who they brought in for the vaccine. It must be emotionally overwhelming and erosive to think that they did it themselves. Mm. And so I think that's the problem is no one can look at this dispassionately. For those who did not take the vaccines, many of them are breathing a big sigh of relief and saying, listen, now that we know what we know, that was the best medical decision of my lifetime. I don't know anybody who said, I deferred on the vaccine and I regret it. No one does. And even if they've had the illness, SARS-CoV-2 virus, COVID-19 illness, they get early treatment. We get them out, out of it. There still are tragic cases that are fatal. They're very rare uh, right now. But among those cases, most are fully vaccinated. So they've had the vaccine anyway. So the vaccine has become the issue of the day. Doctors are actually going to have to find their way out of it. You ask me if anybody has come forward. And I did mention one. And I'm um, I'm at liberty to mention him by name, Dr. Asim Malhotra. He's a leading physician of Indian background in the UK. Now, when the vaccines came out, he actually was asked to be a spokesperson for the vaccine. He went on British TV and the equivalent of Good Morning America, and he advocated for the vaccines, that they were safe and effective and everyone should do their, their duty and take the vaccine. They should protect others. He was out there saying that. His father, very prominent physician in the United Kingdom, very prominent in the Royal College of Physicians, prior bypass surgery and coronary heart disease, takes the vaccine and precipitously dies. Malhotra communicates with me for over a year. He says, I can't believe it. I think my father's died of the vaccine. I said, I think he has too. I reviewed all the information. Malhotra says, I have to do my own analysis of the data. I must. And he does. He analyzes all the available sources of information on the vaccines. He publishes two full-length manuscripts in the peer-reviewed literature, part one and part two, and then he concludes that he made a mistake. He made a mistake in himself. A fatal mistake was made in his father, and now he comes out and he says, these vaccines must be pulled off the market. Now that is a man of integrity. That is a man of humility. That is a doctor for all doctors to watch and observe as an example. Agreed.
for the layman out there, I think it's even hard for them. Nobody wants to admit that, oh, I convinced my, my, my daughter or my parent or somebody that's close to them to get the vaccine and then something happens to them. But people, I know in, in my world, which is not your medical world, with all the data and all the research, I mean, I personally, the people that I followed like you, I go and I look at the links. I, I pay attention to the actual peer-reviewed evidence, the research, the data, I, and I do my own follow-up, which a lot of people don't. They just, you know, kind of read a headline and then they take that as the truth and they think it's from a reputable source. I mean, I used to love certain, I'm an ex-New Yorker, I used to love the New York Times and now I read some of the headlines and I'm so disappointed by what I read because I know that that's not the truth because I've done my own personal research and a lot of people just don't take the time. They don't, they don't care, I don't think, enough. Um, but in, for those of us who don't, aren't in that world, I think that there's a lot of guilt. There's a lot of guilt for those just like the professionals and people don't know how to deal with it. What was it in you that, that started you on this path of, of speaking the truth? I mean, and, and, and being unafraid to do it. I mean, I assume that when you first started, it was just because you were doing your job, like, you, you, you know, like that's just who you are. You, you're, you're the most published cardiologist, correct? In the, in your field. I mean, I remember these things from watching over the last couple of years. How can anybody even doubt you and say that you're, you're spreading disinformation or misinformation or whatever it is they're saying? I mean, why don't people go look? What was it, though, that really prompted you to just speak up and speak out? I think I was born a very confident person. I may be the most confident person I know. And throughout the course of my life, I have always taken an approach that I was going to be the best that there was. You see athletes do this uh, in sports, and it's always so wonderful to see it. I mean, really, people who said they're going to be the best, and they are. In medicine, there is a tremendous opportunity to make contributions. And over the course of my career, I focused on how the heart and kidneys interacted with one another as an organ system, and I was relentless uh, in staying on that track. Uh, it was uh, breaking a mold. Doctors were either cardiologists or they were nephrologists, and they focused along those two uh, pillars and they never interacted with one another. And yet, in the Venn diagram of kidney disease and heart disease were all the major therapeutic advances. And they've, they've come along, therapeutic advances, advances in vitro diagnostics. So I had already, uh, in a sense, had an edge. Uh, I had already lectured at the European Medical Association and lectured at the Congressional Oversight Panel of the U.S. FDA at the New York Academy of Sciences. Uh, I had been a guest uh, Grand Rounds lecturer in almost every major institution in the United States. I was the, uh, the editor-in-chief of the inaugural textbook of cardiorenal medicine, the editor-in-chief of the journal for years of cardiorenal medicine, of reviews in cardiovascular medicine. I built the impact factor of those uh, journals uh, upward. My name was a household name uh, in medicine and still is today. When COVID-19 hit, though, I saw this, and I saw the reaction of the doctors and I said, if not me, who? If I can't step out and face this illness, 
Who's going to do it? And I did it. I said, we will find a way to treat patients. And I refuse to let the virus slaughter my patients, slaughter my family. I wasn't going to have it happen. Not on my watch. I was going to be bold and relentless. To my shock and to my dismay, none of my colleagues were with me. None of them. They recoiled. They went into the darkness. They went into the shadows. They stopped answering the phone calls. They shut down their clinics. And their patients suffered. Their patients became ill with this virus. They developed fever. They couldn't breathe. The oldest, most vulnerable patient. And the virus slaughtered them. The virus slaughtered a million Americans on their watch. And I was outraged. Day by day, week by week that went on, my rage grew in strength. And I did everything I could. When the White House called, I answered. When it took efforts to try to do everything we can to bring medicines to patients, I did it. I've published in the best journals despite the headwinds of censorship. And when the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons reached out to me and said, Dr. McCullough, we need to make a home grind. We need to get uh, medicines to patients. We need to teach them what to do. I jumped on it and we did it. And telemedicine services kicked in. And when the U.S. Senate called and said, Dr. McCullough, we want you to be the lead witness and tell America that we can treat this illness, I did it. And I was joined by heroic doctors who did so. There are heroes in this country. There are heroes. America has the right to celebrate these medical heroes. They are heroes for all time. They definitely are. I've seen you that way for sure. I've talked with my partner, Nathan, about this many times. And I said, you know, we watch these Marvel movies and um, we see all these heroes in their costumes with their shields and their special equipment and their things that they fight with, you know, Thor with his hammer and you name it, you know, Spider-Man with his webs, you know, they're super strength. And I said, these, these are our heroes today. They're the ones that are out there fighting, fighting for good, fighting for humanity and how they can be perceived as anything else in, in, in my world, in our world is, is unfathomable. That's why we are doing what we're doing, our little part in being the messengers. And I've even, I've even looked at, you know, the Christian movement and in, in some of our circles, we call it Christ consciousness. And I said, this is the second coming. It's happening. It's happening through the people, the heroes. They are the messengers. And I feel like people like us are the disciples who see. And it's our job to continue or it's our devotion because we know it's the truth to help spread that message. And just like Jesus the Christ there's a level of pushback. There's this, you know, threat to the royalty, to the crown, to those who are in power. But the reality is, is that you and other people in your circle who are at the forefront, the front lines of this battle, 
you are a part of that Christ energy, however anyone wants to look at it. I'm not saying that you're Jesus. You know, I would never go so far as to, as to, um, uh, you know, claim something like that, but there is this messenger and it feels like it's coming from a higher place and it's working through people like you because you have the knowledge, you have the expertise there is no one else. And the irony of this all is that you're a heart doctor. And it's the heart of humanity that's really hurting right now. And you, with your knowledge as a physician, it's like, it's, it's for us, people like us in Sedona, everything is energetics. Everything is relatable in a spiritual way. And it, this is so synonymous with what we're going through as a species, a collective consciousness on this planet right now. And the heart of humanity is sick. It's in trouble. And you're the man who in the physical realm, the physiology of it, it translates perfectly. When you say that you're confident, I feel like it's more than that. I feel like the divine is speaking through you. And that's where I think that kind of confidence comes from. I know that when I was sick with COVID and I wasn't super sick and I did things that they said not to do because it was what I could get my hands on. And I knew enough people who had already done those protocols who were like, I'm alive, you know, I'm good. I got over it quick and I got over it quickly. But when I was at the lowest point, which was more of a depression than physical illness, was when the president said that he was going to mandate vaccines. And I had, a, my daughter's going to be 24. She was a home, home birth. She's never been vaccinated. She's one of the healthiest people I know. Our community of kids didn't vaccinate. We were Waldorf kids. I went through two days of such a depression, such a downward spiral of feeling like there was an evil that I couldn't combat, that I, I felt helpless, I felt hopeless. And then something shifted. And you know how you said, not on my watch? I'm not you. I don't have your expertise. But there was something in me that was like, oh, hell no. I am not going to allow this to happen. And when people brand us as anti-vaxxers. It's like, I think of Mother Teresa. She said, I'm not anti-war. I'm pro-peace. There's a very big difference. I'm not anti-vaccine. I'm pro-informed consent. I like knowing what I'm putting into my body. That's why I eat the way I do, drink the way I do, the products that I use in my home, the money that I spend on organic, non-GMO, and chemical-free things, the things that I do personally in my own orbit are part of that. It is like, it's a lifestyle, but it also is like a spiritual practice because those are the things, the businesses, the farmers, the people that I support on this planet so it'll be sustainable. And on an internal level, supporting people like you is part of my spiritual practice. And it does, it's not about being a Christian. It's not about being Jewish. It's not about any real religion. It's, it's that 
connective consciousness that we have on this planet that people are just so hungry for. And this whole thing, especially the way you laid it out in the conference, was incredibly powerful. You can't argue with it. The facts are the facts. But if you're not willing to look at them, how do you suggest or what do you think is a viable, realistic way for those who are naysayers to somehow touch them from the heart so that they can see and understand? We're in a magical place, and Sedona is such a place, and the conference was magical. There's no doubt about it. The Holy Spirit is working through people we saw this weekend, the past few days. The Holy Spirit is working through all of them. They are special people. It's a small number of people who have eyes to see and ears to hear. Others have scales over their eyes. They're blinded. They're confused. They're uncertain. When the topic comes up, the most common response you hear is, I don't want to talk about it. That is code word for being in what's, for lack of a better term, mass formation or a trance or under a spell. Almost as if there needs to be demons drived, driven out of them. We are in spiritual times. There's no doubt about it. Everyone has spirituality. Their individual religion is the framework in which they interpret their spirituality. Most people are born into their own religions, but I have worked now with Muslims and Hindus, Christians, Jews. People are becoming awake to the understanding we are in a spiritual battle right now. It's all over the world, in everyone's mind. I think the first thing for everybody on either side of this, those with eyes to see, those with scales, is to understand we are in a time of a great controversy. Do you know many people actually don't recognize that we're in a time of a crisis? or controversy. They're going about with their jobs, and they don't realize it. And you can see this because one of their co-workers will suddenly die for no reason. And there's no outrage. We see this time and time again. When we see a young girl, 17 years old, perfectly healthy, ostensibly healthy, a prominent father who is promoting the vaccines, he told America his kids will take the vaccines. He tweeted this out. He said it publicly. And then she goes out and takes the vaccine. And then he finds her dead in her bed. The look on his face, the blank look in his eyes, the shock, the disbelief, the remorse, the guilt must be extraordinary. And on top of that, it's in his body, too. It's in his body. It's in his other daughter's body. It's in his wife's body. Can you imagine the overwhelming sets of emotions that he is trying to process? Who is that person? It's Democratic Congressman Sean Gaston from Illinois. 
Can you imagine what he is trying to process in his brain right now? Public figure after public figure. We know this because the musicians, those in the Stage Actors Guild, they actually all have to take the vaccine. It's not hard to figure out, without exceptions. So pop star Justin Bieber takes the vaccine, and he develops Ramsey-Hunt syndrome, and now his face is contorted, and he can't sing and articulate words correctly. And his wife, Haley Bieber, she develops a blood clot, and it shoots through a small congenital hole in the heart, which about 25% of us have, and she has a stroke, and the blood clot has to be retrieved. So that's two out of two public figures who are together as public figures. Can you imagine the disbelief, the shock, the, in, the framework of interpretation that they're trying to grapple with right now? It's extraordinary. Yet there's another vignette Americans need to know about, Ernesto Ramirez. Ernesto Ramirez is a truck driver. He's Hispanic, lives in South Texas, and he's a single father. He hears that he should take a vaccine and his child to take his vaccine. So he goes out and he takes it first to see if it's safe. Nothing happens to him. So he takes his 16-year-old boy in who gets the vaccine and a few days later, his boy dies on the basketball court. He gets an autopsy. This is a man who doesn't have money to pay for an autopsy, but he gets one. He knows something's wrong. And the autopsy, I reviewed it myself, demonstrates fatal vaccine-induced myocarditis. It's clear and convincing, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that the vaccine has killed his son. Unlike Caston, Unlike Justin and Haley Bieber, Ernesto Ramirez, the father, is not in shock. He's not in disbelief. He's in rage. And he goes out and he becomes relentless in giving a message to parents that they could lose their children with these vaccines. And he tells the story over and over and over again across the country. He's approached. He's approached by one of the stakeholders who says, can we give you some money so you'll be quiet about this? And no amount of money is enough. And he continues to speak the truth. There are people out there, and I give them the highest amount of credit because they themselves now have had a loss, a family loss. And him, his entire remaining family is gone. His son, his only son. And now, he is trying to help others. We need all the parents to step out and become like Ernesto Ramirez. We need all the brothers and sisters. We need all the middle-aged people who have lost their seniors. The data suggest the people who die with the vaccine are the same people who die with the respiratory illness, the virus. It's our seniors. So the deaths that are occurring are silent. There are people in nursing homes, independent living, who are coming to the end of their life, and when they do die, no one's factoring in the fact that the vaccine was taken in the last two years. These vaccines are lethal. They are lethal. The peer-reviewed published literature is overwhelming now. There are a thousand papers in the National Library of Medicine and the preprint servers demonstrating 
how the vaccine kills individuals. What are the mechanisms by which a shot in the arm can kill a human being? It's all there. It's all in the open, and it must be stopped. How do people find the information? How can I guide them? What you just said has been the hardest part for me because I'm a caregiver, and I took care of my parents for over 20 years. The last three years of my mother's life, she had advanced Parkinson's. She couldn't do anything for herself. So I'm very familiar with medications, with hospitals, with doctors, all of it. And then I took care of my father. He passed in 2020 right during the pandemic. But thankfully, he was at home with us because I took him out of assisted living shortly beforehand. Um, But I went to work at the independent uh, senior community where my father had lived. And I ended up getting a job as the marketer there. And it was incredibly painful for me to watch the vaccine clinics with these people that I love, who were my dad's friends. And some of them have uh, passed, and some of them, their cancers that were in full remission have come back. And I'm not a doctor, and I, 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 I was not in a position by any means to reveal that I was not vaccinated or to say anything to any of them because I would be terminated. And it was, you know, against policy. You just don't discuss those things. And having the residents say, when are we getting another booster? When are we going to have another booster clinic? It was so, so hard for me. It's one of the reasons that I left because I was powerless to have an influence on any of them. We had one resident who he had some dementia, but shortly after his booster, he, it seemed like he just, like his dementia just like progressed, but it turned out that it was a brain bleed. Is that something that's common? Because a number of us thought it was due to the vaccine, but we're not, you know, we don't really know. The US FDA has an official warning on blood clots in the brain with the Johnson & Johnson vaccine outside the United States, the AstraZeneca vaccine. All the vaccines behave similarly. Bleeding into the brain and blood clots have been described with all the vaccines. A paper by Burhild and colleagues published in JAMA, the Journal of the American Medical Association, from three Nordic countries, has reported 7,750 disabling and neurologically catastrophic brain brain bleeds and clots in the brain within 28 days of taking the vaccine, AstraZeneca, Pfizer, or Moderna. And they carefully ruled out any involvement of the virus itself. The vaccine causes bleeding in the brain. In my Substack, which is coming out uh, tomorrow, Mortz, a um, uh, investigator pathologist from uh, Dresden, Germany, reports a 76-year-old man with Parkinson's disease. He takes the AstraZeneca vaccine and has all kinds of reactions. He has cardiovascular symptoms, uh, gets very sick. Uh, he uh, recovers from that. And so the decision, decision is made to, a month later, change and give him the Pfizer vaccine. So he gets the Pfizer vaccine, and then after that, he has a precipitous decline. He has a market change in his behaviors, characteristics. He won't let his family touch him anymore. He has cognitive decline. Uh, It puts him in a wheelchair 
He previously was walking. Now he's in a wheelchair in independent living. And then he takes the third shot six months later, and that was the final shot. He collapses a week later, is recovered. Another week, another week goes by, and then he collapses, and he never recovers. Mortz does an autopsy. The brain is inflamed and damaged with the vaccine, evidence of the vaccine in the blood vessels and the brain tissue, the spike protein from the vaccine in the brain, and the heart is damaged and heavily inflamed. And again, the spike protein is found, and Mortz carefully looks for any trace of the virus. None is there. It's only the vaccine. Mortz concludes, it's a vaccine fatality in a 76-year-old man with Parkinson's syndrome who could have lived six months or 12 months or two years more. He, if he developed COVID, he could have been treated. This has happened to countless numbers of seniors. I want people to understand this. People dying in assisted living, independent living, and skilled nurses, nursing facilities, the family should ask, did they take a vaccine and when? They should get the vaccine card. They should report it to the safety data systems. In the United States, it's the VAERS system. Outside the United States, there's other systems. It should reported, be reported. All deaths after investigational products should be reported, irrespective of the time that's gone by. That's the thing is people don't associate it. They think that they're protecting. I mean, I saw many, many adult children of our residents saying, you know, make sure my mom, make sure my dad gets the shot. I, w- I want them to be safe. I want them to be protected. And, you know, we had to do it regardless of what our personal beliefs or knowledge was. You know, it just just wasn't, there was no place for it. Well, let me give you uh, a bright side. And I think people need to hear some bright vignettes. My mother and father live in a facility where there's independent living and there's assisted living. My dad uh, had dementia. He had a room on the assisted living side of the building. My mom had an apartment on the independent living side of the building. They saw each other each day. It's a wonderful place. My parents were both very happy with this arrangement. My father had survived COVID. In fact, there's a chapter in my book, Courage to Face COVID-19, as he was one of the first nursing home uh, facility patients to survive COVID-19 with the McCullough Protocol. My mom, when she was a college student, uh, there was an influenza that was moving through colleges across the United States, and there was a decision at her college, she went to Bowling Green University, to mass vaccinate all the students, 1950s. She takes a vaccine, an influenza vaccine, and she has some type of reaction. And she's in a coma for nine days. She lost nine days of her life. You know, back then there wasn't the internet. There wasn't, you know, easy to call people. Her parents didn't know what happened to her. And uh, she recovers. So my mother is always skeptical and leery of vaccines. So as this is coming along, she's already seen my dad get COVID. Pretty sick, but he gets through it. And she she'd asked me with some regularity, should she take a COVID vaccine? And she said, they're really pushing it at the facility. And I said, Mom, I, I don't know. Is it, you know, they're new. Uh, we started to see the data emerge. And I have to tell you, by March of 2021, it was clear. I mean, there had already been 1,600 Americans who have died after the vaccine. Looking backwards, the um, mortality signal started to emerge January 22nd of 2021. But it was by mid-spring of 2021, the decision was my mom wasn't going to get the vaccine. She didn't want to take the vaccine. And she wasn't going to get it. 
Now, my mom is a real shaker and mover in the independent living. Let me tell you, she has her name badge on every day. She's around. She has a million friends, and she can't help but express her opinion. And many seniors are relatively unfiltered, just like children, unfiltered. And my mom would go around and say, I hope you didn't take that vaccine. If you did, don't take any more of them. They're not safe. And my son, he's on Fox News. And she would, and they would all gather on Fox News and see the next clip that would come up. And, uh, you know, I think she's probably saved many lives because the point is the vaccines can be fatal on each and every administration. And we now know that uh, the, the real serious cases of injuries and the deaths are, occur in restricted lots. So there are lots of the vaccine that are far more dangerous than others. And it's a really a game of Russian roulette. How, 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 why is that? How can there be a lot that's, that's, that's deadly and another lot that isn't? A, a few points. With the emergency use authorization contracts, uh, there is no post-manufacturing inspection for quality and purity. None. You know, even Tylenol, uh, penicillin, they all get inspections for quality and, and, and purity. None. These just roll off and they are just put into mass use. They previously were super cooled and, and handled carefully in randomized trials, all kinds of, of um, drug accountability efforts. Now with the mass program, they've given up on trying to cool the products. They've changed the buffer. They're, they're distributed out to CVS and Walgreens, you know, thousands and thousands of distribution places. And what we've learned now through data from the European medicine agencies is that even, even originally, about 78% of the messenger RNA could degrade. It actually went to, to a, a, a null effect pretty quickly. And so what we surmise is that many people are getting relatively degraded messenger RNA, and by the grace of God and human error and manufacturing error and the lack of inspections, they are actually getting a dud. They're effectively getting a dud. And it's only those who are getting the live ammo, if you will, they get an installation of the genetic code for the lethal Wuhan spike protein. This is the spike protein that was engineered by U.S. researchers at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, Harvard, and a Swiss institute. It was funded by the U.S., and the work was done in the biosecurity lab level four in China. A biosecurity lab actually concocted the spike protein and the genetic code for the spike protein all emanated out of a lab in Wuhan, China. We now know this. Peter Bregan and Ginger Bregan wrote COVID-19 and the Global Predators, a mandatory book for every household in America. It gives the timelines and the facts of how Pfizer and Moderna started to work with the Chinese and the U.S. government in making these vaccines before anybody even knew about SARS-CoV-2 and COVID-19. That's how Moderna announced within three days of the crisis that they had a vaccine. Vaccines can't be developed in three days. It was developed years in advance. In fact, Stefan Benzel, previously at BioMRU, he helped the Chinese build the lab. And in 2011, he moved to Moderna. And then Moderna wrote the patent with the U.S. National Institutes of Health before the COVID-19 pandemic. So it was all in the works. It was going to be a vaccine-only strategy from the beginning. There was no desire to treat patients. None. It was a needle in every arm. The most important mantra Americans have ever heard. That's not my mantra. That's not the mantra of my tribe. But it is there. 
I am just blown away to be sitting across the table from you. I've been following you for so long and I'm reading and learning and trying to get that part of my brain to retain all of these facts. It's, it's, it's absolutely mesmerizing and inspiring to be in your presence and hear it directly from you and from the others who are at the conference this weekend. I hope that I can do my part with this to share it with the people who will listen. If people want to find you, if they're, if this is new for them, where do they find you? I have a website that um, links to all my social media activities. It's petermccullummd.com. It's pretty easy, petermccullummd.com. I have a weekly radio show on Saturday and Sunday, and then it goes into podcast, America Out Loud Talk Radio, The McCullough Report, that's free to the world. Uh, we have so many listeners. I interview people all over the world because this is a worldwide crisis, and I want people to understand that the crisis resolution is going to have to be global. I have uh, a new Substack. I want everyone to know about that. It's called Courageous Discourse. I'm writing it with best-selling author John Leake. It's already wildly popular. Uh, I'm active uh, on social media, on uh, True Social, on Getter, uh, reflexively on Twitter, Telegram. My uh, Twitter account right now is uh, in suspension, but not permanently banned. I'm working with uh, Twitter with my um, legal and IT teams. I don't know what's going to happen. But I know no matter what I do, there are millions of followers. And what people tell me is they just want to hear from a reasonable doctor who cares. That's what they want. John Leake, my co-author, says it will be doctors who close the crisis. It's only those in medical authority. It won't be a politician. It won't be a president. It won't be a judge. It won't be an industry person. It won't be a billionaire. It will be a doctor and a team of doctors that will close the crisis, and I'm up for the job. Thank you. Thank you. You're hired. (laughs) Thanks for having me. I appreciate you so much. Thank you for joining us today on Our Evolution. We hope you enjoyed what you heard and found some inspiration towards your self-transformation. Check out the show notes for information related to today's topics. And if our vibe resonates with you, we'd love a review on whatever platform it is you're hearing us on today. Share this podcast with your community and on social media so the heart of Sedona can reach others who would benefit. And remember, our evolution is a revolution, a revolution of love.